0: Bible is pleased to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2 as we continue our study in the book of Philippians. The title this morning is Companions in the Gospel, Companions in the Gospel. We're going to look at verses 19 through 30 this morning. One of the sad signs of the last days, and that's what the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 3 is that people will be lovers of themselves, if we haven't guessed that or seen that already. Not loving people, not helping others in need. You know, we see it on the news often. Someone lying on the street, hurt, being attacked. Nobody stops to help them, to make sure that he's all right, or to stop something that could be a lot more injurious to the person who's being beat up. We've seen on the news people assaulted and people passing by. No one stops to help or call for help. You know what they're doing? They're taking videos. Videos of an assault or somebody in need. It's also dangerous to get involved these days. Because you could be the end of you could end up being hurt. Not to mention helping someone maybe might get you sued. So there might be that this might be why we don't see many good Samaritans today. Is it because people's hearts have become hardened and desensitized? Just mind their own business? in order to protect themselves. Maybe sacrifice and service that we learned about in our last time together, in verse, or in verse 17, in our last time together. Maybe sacrifice and service used to be qualities that people practiced, but somehow they don't just seem to fit in our society today, in our so-called modern civilization. Even in Paul's day, concern for one another wasn't a popular quality. The Christians at Rome weren't too interested in the problems at Philippi. Paul couldn't find one person among them willing to go to Philippi. Times haven't changed much. In verses 19 through 30, Paul is is still talking about the submissive mind that he described in the example of Jesus Christ in verses 1 through 11. Jesus was the example of sacrifice, is the example of sacrifice. He's explained the workings of the submissive mind, that is Paul. He's explained the workings of the submissive mind in his own experience in verses 12 through 18 here. Now he's going to introduce us to two of his helpers in the ministry, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he does so for a reason. Because he knows that his readers will probably say, you know, it's impossible for us to follow such wonderful examples like Jesus and Paul. You know, it's like, come on now, Jesus was the Son of God, Paul was a chosen special apostle, Has had who has had unbelievable spiritual experiences. So this is why Paul introduces to us two ordinary men. Two ordinary men that are Christians. Two ordinary men who weren't apostles or great miracle workers. Paul wants us to know that the submissive mind is not some bonus that only a few special chosen people enjoy. The submissive mind is a necessity for Christians, and for Christian joy, and something that all believers can experience. Let's begin now with chapter 2 and verse 19. And Paul says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. In other words, Paul was saying, I'm hoping to send Timothy to you pretty soon. Now, Timothy was one of the better-known friends of Paul. I'm going to give a little bit of history on Timothy. Timothy's mother and grandmother were both model Jewish women. His father was Greek, but he may have died when Timothy was young, and so he was raised by his godly mother and grandmother, who gave him a good working knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith and seems to have been saved at the, same time, at, the, yeah, at the time of Paul's first missionary journey to Lystra in Timothy's mother's house. When Paul chose Timothy to be one of his companions on his second missionary journey, Paul circumcised him to make him more acceptable to the Jews. Paul always went to the synagogue congregation first when he entered a new town. Timothy was with Paul at Philippi, Thessalonia, uh, Thessalon- Thessalonia, Berea, but he stayed behind in Berea with Silas when Paul went on to Athens. When Timothy joined Paul in Athens, <clears throat> he sent him right away to Thessalonia. Timothy rejoined Paul at Corinth, bringing good news about the Thessalonian church. And on the third missionary journey, he was with Paul during his long stay at Ephesus. And then Paul sent him to Macedonia and Corinth. And since his name appears in the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans from Corinth, we know that Timothy was with Paul when he returned to Corinth himself. And as Paul started out for Asia and Jerusalem by way of Macedonia, Timothy was one of those who went ahead to wait for Paul at Troas. Timothy was with Paul during the time of his first imprisonment in Rome. And after Paul was released, his various activities and journeys, they're not you know, clearly recorded for us. And Timothy seems to have gone with him to Ephesus, and it seems like Paul left him there to take care of the needs of the church there, while Paul himself went, to, went on to Macedonia and Philippi and Asia Minor and probably Spain. The last time Timothy is mentioned comes after Paul's rearrest and his strict confinement in Rome with his execution pending. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he urged Timothy to come before winter and bring his cloak and his books. And according to Eusebius, Timothy was the first bishop of Ephesus. And according to Nicephorus, Timothy was clubbed to death at a feast of Diana for condemning their depravity. And at the time that Paul was writing to the Philippians, Paul was hoping to send Timothy to Philippi so that he could bring back to Paul news about his friends who were there. Many of the Philippians had known Timothy since the time that he had come to town with Paul to start their church. Paul couldn't have chosen a better man or one that he loved and trusted more than Timothy. And he sets Timothy before the Philippians as an example of victorious service. And whether or not Paul actually did send Timothy is basically a matter of speculation. Let's look at verse 20 now. He says, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Men and women who think like Paul are hard to find in any age that is like-minded. They think like Paul. They work like Paul. They serve like Paul. They're committed like Paul or any other committed servant of God. Not just Paul. There are many, but in this example, it's Paul that they're they're pointing to. Paul said, I can't find anybody that has a mind like mine. He wasn't boasting, but I want somebody to serve with me, man, that's going to go where I go and, or, or do what I need them to do or to be committed to ministry, to help me, to whatever the call is. Men and women who share his genuine, painstaking, self-sacrificing care for the spiritual needs of others. That's who he's looking for. And it would seem that in all of Rome, Paul couldn't find a single Christian that he could send to Philippi. Now, there may have been some who had the necessary talents, but they didn't have the time. Same thing happens today. There may have been somebody who had the time and the talents, but they didn't have the character. But in Timothy, Paul found somebody who was like-minded. Timothy was spiritually gifted, and you know what? He was available. That's a rare combination. Timothy just had a natural way of caring for people that enabled him to be successful in service. True service. You see, a true servant of God is able and willing to serve whenever called upon. As Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 2, Timothy, be ready in season and out of season. That means being ready all the time. Getting a call at 2 o'clock in the morning, hey, we need you. You know, maybe it's a ministry, especially like a, a pastor. You know, in, in, in early days, I would get calls at two o'clock in the morning from guys that I knew, and they would tell me, "Hey, I, I'm ready to, to one I'm ready to do somebody in." He's seeing my wife, and I had I sat and I told him, "Hey, trying to you know calm him down and say, look, don't do that." It's not going to solve any problems. And I just start to share with them. I get calls from guys that say, hey, I have a pistol in my hand right now and I'm ready to do myself in. Don't do it, bro. It's not, you know, that won't be the end. That will be a beginning of a whole new journey that you don't want to go on. And so you get those calls. And you can't say when somebody in that state of mind, bro, you know what? Uh, if you look at the clock, hey, can I call you in the morning? They need you now. They need you now. And again, those are some of the extreme situations that you could be in. But you need to be ready in season and out of season. We're on call as Christians 24 hours a day. One day. Paul would know, knew he would be judged when Jesus Christ appeared. It would do all of us good to occasionally think about the fact that one day we are going to face God and the works will be judged also. For one thing, this realization that one day we're going to sit before the the judgment seat of God would encourage us to do our work carefully and faithfully. Understanding that God will one day judge our works will encourage us, or should encourage encourage us, to keep us going. In season and out of season, even in the most difficult times, we are serving Him. Him, not ourselves. Verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. And the New Living Translation is, Sounds like this. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. You see, the trouble with the local church and Christians today is a lack of true commitment. And this isn't a message of condemnation. It's a reality. You see, Paul's pointing it out at his time. And it's still a reality today. Nobody has the time. And few are willing to make the time, to make a sold-out commitment to a task. Our churches are full on Sunday mornings and empty the rest of the time. You say, of course, we don't go to church throughout the week. But there are a lot of things that can be done all through the week. The same faithful few do nearly all the work And it's hard to find anyone who will make a long-term commitment to do anything. Whether it's to teach a Sunday school class or help in the nursery or do visitations. An illustration is given by a missionary who had gone out to Africa. And he served in Africa for 50 years. And he was talking about the tendency today for people to go on on summer trips. Or make short-term commitments. Now, that's not a bad thing. He said, but it's sad that there aren't more long-term commitments. David's servant, Barzillai, in 2 Samuel nineteen thirty-six said to David, speaking of himself, he said, your servant will go a little way with you, David. How oh, nice. He was willing to go a little way across the Jordan with King David. What Barzillai said to King David pretty much says it all for much of the attitude of the times our time, and Paul's time. And when Paul wrote this verse, he was accusing them of having the spirit of Laodiceanism, which is the spirit that wants the best of both worlds. It's the spirit that says, me first. Luke 9, 59 and 61. There was a man who was being called to be a disciple. And he said, oh, Lord, Let me first go and bury my father. Another so-called disciple said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. See, if we have this me first attitude, we're not ready to be a true servant of God. Because true service is Jesus first. True service is total service. And that should be clear when we remember that we are called to handle the things of Christ. We are to be, be our hands and our feet and our eyes and our ears and our mouth, but to be extensions of Jesus Christ. We are called to carry on the work of Jesus Christ. He himself, it says, who took upon himself the form of a servant. Jesus went all the way, even to the cross. How can we say, I'll go a little way, Lord, when you went all the way for me? Paul recognized Timothy as a loyal companion, an ambassador, and a fellow worker. But we learn from the letters to Timothy that he was intimidated by stronger personalities. Timothy was young, uh, maybe felt intimidated by some, like Paul was saying, some stronger uh, personalities or stronger responsibilities because those things scare us too. So Paul had to toughen Timothy up. Paul had to toughen Timothy's determination and remind remind Timothy that he has to go all the way in his commitment to Jesus Christ. Verse 22. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. So... Let me go back to verse 22, where it should be. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. So even though Paul had great joy when he thought about all the people that he knew that were doing the Lord's work, he experienced a special personal satisfaction when he thought about Timothy. Timothy was like a son to Paul. Paul was like his father. Here Paul was reminding his Philippian friends about his relationship with Tim with Timothy. Again, it was just like a father with his child. Paul saying, that's what it was like with me to serve with Timothy. Here Paul was reminding again his, his Philippian friends about this relationship. The Philippians wouldn't have any problem remembering Paul's fatherlike devotion. And no doubt Paul could have easily avoided the scourging, the whipping, at Philippi if he had told the Roman officials that he was a Roman citizen instead he didn't say a word and he took the punishment and the imprisonment like a man he was here's why he was probably afraid that if he was to escape the wrath of the mob you know who gave him the whipping and the beatings that if he would escape them they would have taken their anger out on his dear son Timothy. The Philippians would also remember Timothy's care and concern for his beloved Paul. The younger man, Timothy, he was here, there, he was everywhere looking out for the interests of Paul and the church. When Paul wrote verse 22 about Timothy's service, he used the word uh, dulio, dulio, which means to be a slave to or to take up the slave's life. You see, Timothy was a true bondslave in his devotion to Paul. Timothy wasn't a rookie. He was no beginner when it came to the business of serving the Lord Jesus Christ by serving others. Paul said to them in verse 22 he says, You know his proven character. Timothy, Paul said, Timothy's, Timothy's service has passed the service test. Timothy's service has passed the test. Verse 23 and 24. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Timothy knew the meaning of sacrifice and service. God rewarded him for his faithfulness. And for starters, Timothy had the joy of helping others. And no doubt, there were, there were hardships and difficulties in Timothy's ministry. But you know what? There are also victories and blessings. Because Timothy was good, a, a good and faithful servant. A good and faithful servant. That's where you experience the blessings, the victories, in being a good and faithful servant. Timothy had the great joy of serving with the great Apostle Paul and helping the Apostle Paul in some of his most difficult jobs. Timothy is mentioned at least 24 times in Paul's letters. Timothy, 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 Timothy this, Timothy that, because he was always there for him. Always there for him. But maybe the greatest reward God gave to Timothy was to be close to Paul to choose him to be Paul's replacement when the great apostle was called to heaven. Paul himself wanted to go to Philippi, but he had to send Timothy in his place. But can you imagine what an honor that would be? Timothy wasn't just Paul's son and servant, but he became Paul's substitute and his eventual replacement. Man, that speaks awful high, highly of, of, of Timothy. Timothy's name is held in the highest respect by Christians today. And we're talking about him this morning. Something, something that young Timothy never dreamed of when he was busy serving the Lord. The submissive mind is not the result of listening to an hour sermon. It doesn't come through, you know, learning something in a class or in seminary or, or, or Bible school. It helps. But again, the submissive mind is not the result of listening to an hour's Bible study or, or going to a week-long seminar or even a year's uh, service. The submissive mind grows in us like it did in Timothy when we yield to the Lord and seek to serve others. Remember when Jesus said when you, you, when you, you feed the hungry and you, and you give the thirst, uh, a drink to the thirsty and you give, uh, to visit those who are in prison? He said, you do that to me? See, he equates our service to others as love for him. He equates serving others as love for him. Because he he says, when you do it for them, you do it for me. So again, when we yield to the Lord and seek to serve others... This is the sign of the submissive mind. Again, it grows in us. It grows in us when we yield to the Lord, when we say, yes, Lord. And we seek to serve others. Look at verse 25 now. He said, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Notice he says, my brother, my fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who who ministered to my need. Paul had nothing but praise for this really unknown Christian, Epaphroditus. Paul started his praise by calling him my brother. I'm sending you my brother, Epaphroditus. Now, Timothy was Paul's son in the faith, but Epaphroditus was Paul's brother in the faith. No one did more than Paul to spread the family spirit throughout the church. Epaphroditus wasn't just a brother in the family. He says he's also a fellow worker. A fellow worker in the mission field. Epaphroditus wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. Doing a good day's work, serving the Lord. And Paul said of him, thirdly, he says, he's also a fellow soldier. He wasn't afraid to get into the fight. A lot of Christians are afraid to get into the fight. And yet we're called soldiers of Christ. You're going to get wounded in the fight. I think that's why a lot of Christians don't want to get into the fight. They don't want to get hurt. They don't want to get wounded, embarrassed, ridiculed, whatever it might be. Epaphroditus was not afraid to take on the enemy. These high words of praise for Epaphroditus came from a man who kept high standards for servants and for soldiers of the Lord. Paul said, Endure hard times as a soldier of Christ. Endure afflictions as the soldiers of Christ. And in the short time Epaphroditus was with Paul in Rome, he had had proved his diligence. He proved to be diligent and he proved to be brave. Epaphroditus was a man after Paul's own heart. But Paul felt that he needed to send him back to Philippi. And probably because he was the one taking Paul's letter to the Philippians. And Paul chose his words carefully here. notice he called him the messenger, his messenger. And the word messenger usually refers to an apostle or a missionary in the New Testament. And then he says he was one who ministered. The expression the one who ministered means one who serves in an office of a minister. The expression is used especially for consecrated priests and Levites. So the words that Paul used here show that he thought of Epaphroditus as a missionary, as a minister sent by the Philippians to meet his needs. So Epaphroditus, he wasn't just some guy sent to deliver their love gift. He was sent to be a minister to Paul, just like Paul had once been God's apostle and minister and missionary to the Philippians. Paul not only appreciated the gift that was sent, but also the way it was sent by somebody who is like-minded, somebody who's like me, Paul. And to acknowledge the thoughtfulness of the Philippians in sending Epaphroditus, Paul chose words expressing the most sacred forms of ministry in the previous verse. Verse 26. He says, since he was longing for you all, that is Paphroditus, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. You know, if you've ever experienced it, it's bad enough to be sick, but when you're sick and you're far away from home, it's it's worse. Only those who have been uh, uh, to a faraway land can know how spiritually awful it can be. Epaphroditus was longing, it says, longing to go home to his family and friends. The word longing means intensely crave. So much so that he was distressed, which means full of heaviness, full of anguish and distress, deeply weighed down or depressed. This is the same word. Distressed is the same word that's used to describe the feelings of Jesus as he was getting closer to the agony of Gethsemane where he he sweat great drops of blood. That was the distress that he was under. The Lord was sorrowful and he was very heavy in the Garden of Gethsemane. The sorrow that that weighed upon upon, uh, his soul and prompted him to urge Peter, James, and John to pray with him. It was the kind of sorrow that had taken over the heart of Epaphroditus here. But what interested Paul was the cause of of Epaphroditus' depression. It wasn't because he was sick. It wasn't because he was far away from home. Epaphroditus wasn't depressed because he was sick and far away from home and because he was around strangers. What bothered Epaphroditus was he was concerned that his family and his friends at Philippi would worry about him. In other words, his, his depression was caused by, it wasn't caused by self-pity. It wasn't a woe-was-me thing, which is the usual, usual cause of so much you know, heaviness of heart. His depression was caused by an unselfish concern for others. He didn't want others to be worried about what he was going through. Verse 27. For indeed, notice Paul says, For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but, also, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Epaphroditus had been seriously sick. Paul wanted the Philippians to know that he almost died. But Epaphroditus got well by the mercy of God, and Paul saw that, saw that as another sign of God's mercy. To Epaphroditus and to Paul, Paul was spared the sorrow of losing the fellowship of a man that he felt a like-minded spirit with, Epaphroditus, as well as Timothy. And Paul escaped the sorrow that he would have felt if Epaphroditus would have died because of his efforts to minister to him. Plus, Paul didn't have to bear the added grief of knowing it was the Philippians' kindness to him that had caused him to lose a friend or brother and brother. Verse 28. Therefore, I send him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Paul said, hey, I'm going to send him back to you. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. He says to Epaphroditus, I'm going to send you back home. He says, I'm going to send you back home as sure as, I'm, as soon as I'm sure you are fully recovered and you're able to go. Now, Paul hated to let him go. He hated to part so soon from a man that he had appreciated so much. But Paul was a, was a selfless person. He wanted the Philippians to be able to rejoice over Epaphroditus' recovery and his homecoming. And that they'd be happy when he got there safely and he would be full of news about Paul. Because Epaphroditus probably had a lot of long talks with Paul. And they were probably anxious, he was probably anxious to share those, those, those long talks with family and friends. So the departure of Epaphroditus would leave a huge emptiness in Paul's life. Because again, you know, when you meet those kind of people, and especially in ministry that you serve with, and they're always there when you need them, and they volunteer their help, and, and I'll come, and, and they were, they're always there, and, and, you know, and God moves them out, man, that leaves a big hole. Because it's hard to find people like that. And that's the kind of love that Jonathan had for David. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 17 and 18, the New Living Translation says it like this. Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. And then Jonathan said, Tomorrow, speaking to David, King David, Tomorrow, King David, we celebrate the New Moon Festival. You will be missed when your place at the table is empty. Whenever Paul would look at the corner of the prison where his dear friend and brother sat, he would miss him. But you see, if he had died, he would have been twice as sad. But in this case, he wouldn't he would be less sorrowful because he didn't die. Paul was never selfish. He loved Epaphroditus and he wanted to do what was best for him. And you could hear Paul say, You can't stay here, my friend. I don't know what's going to happen to me, but you need to go home. And you can hear it in his words in verse twenty eight. When he says, "Therefore, I send him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful." He's saying there, "I am so, I, I so, I am all the more anxious, Epaphroditus, to send you back home." Let's close with verses twenty-nine and thirty. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ he came close to death not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. You know, you say how sad it would be to go through life and not be a blessing to anyone. Think about that. How sad it would be to go through your whole life and not to be a blessing to anyone. You know, to be a Christian your whole life and not be a blessing to anyone because you are afraid to step out. You're afraid to get involved. You're afraid to say yes to the Lord. To know that you just went to church all your life but were never a blessing to anyone. Especially the Lord and you know and I can speak from experience because I I did that for 16 years when I was a Christian I would go to church and do very little as far as ministry is turned because I was afraid I, I, I don't have this I can't do that it was an inconvenient time And so when I went on my 40th 40th birthday, you know, I just sat and began to think. I thought, man, I'm over the hill. I'm really over the hill now. I'm almost on the hill. Um, I thought, man, I got more years behind me now than I probably have in front of me if God is gracious. And I thought, man, I just don't want to look back on my life. No, I just went to church. I said, I want to do something for the church in serving the Lord and so it was it was scary but I told the Lord I'm not going to say no to you anymore and I'm glad I didn't I wouldn't be right here this morning if I kept saying no And, and many other things that, that God has allowed me to do to go serve in, in South America at conferences for, for several years with, with Pastor Rawl and, and other guys, and, and teach in South America leadership conferences. It's neat things meeting people you know there, and, and just the neat things that I, I've got to, to experience. And, and, and because again, you will you will be blown away what God will do with you when you quit saying no, and don't be afraid. Because the grace of God will keep you wherever you go, wherever he sends you. He'll never send you where his grace won't keep you. He will never do anything to harm you, to hurt you. And so I hope for the new year that, that, would, that we would think about that. I just don't want to go to church. I am the church and I want to serve the church. Epaphroditus was a blessing to Paul. He stood by Paul in his prison experience and he didn't even let his own sickness get in the way of of his service to the Lord. What great times Epaphroditus and Paul must have had together. But he was also a blessing to his own church. So Paul encourages the church to honor Epaphroditus because of his service and his sacrifice. Clearly, it's Jesus who gets the glory. But there's nothing wrong with the servant receiving honor, Paul says, he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who your leader who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and they give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Now this is not a contradiction here. Okay, between verse 7 where it says that, that Jesus made himself of no reputation. And then and then. It says, Hold such men in reputation. You know, it's not a contradiction. Jesus emptied himself in his gracious act of humiliation and God exalted him. Epaphroditus sacrificed himself with no thought of reward, and Paul encouraged the church, hey, hold him in honor to the glory of God. That's the key, it's to the glory of God, whatever we do. He gets the glory. I was just an instrument. I was just a tool. That's what my girls used to tell me when I was younger when they were younger oh you're a tool just messing around but that was a you know be a hack on me but you know anyway it's an instrument a tool you know And, and that's all we are and god gets the glory on whatever we do that brings glory and honor to him so again he was a blessing to paul to his own church and he's a blessing to us this morning as we're studying He proves to us that the joyful life is the life of sacrifice and service, that the submissive mind really does work. Again, he got to submit. Epaphroditus and Timothy together, they encourage us to submit ourselves to the Lord and to one another in the spirit of Christ. And Christ is the pattern that we follow. Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus we're very three different men. We're all different, different skills, talents, whatever it might be. We're all different. But, for example, Paul was the bold one. Paul was bold, and he was fear, the fearless leader. Timothy, he was more reserved. He was quiet. He was devote, a devoted assistant. And Epaphroditus, he was a diligent, behind-the-scenes kind of guy. Yet all three of them showed the most important characteristics of a godly leader: a life worth imitating. And Paul shows us the power here in verses 12 through 19. And Timothy and Epaphroditus are the proof that this submissive mind really works. Will you allow the Spirit to reproduce the mind of Christ in you? Fear not. Fear not. Again, the grace of God. You know, it just... It will, it, will, it will do all that you need as you're serving Him. So again, it, for, for this year, you know, put on, have that submissive mind. And, and not fear man or anything else. But be soldiers. Get out and get into the battle. Father we thank you so much for your wonderful word lord we thank you for your goodness and your grace and Father we thank you that uh, you give us this encouragement and you show us examples of ordinary men and ordinary women that you call to do extraordinary things because you're the you're the drive you're the power you're the mind You're the wisdom and the guide behind us all. And Lord, Lord, help us to lean upon you, Lord, to trust you, to love you with all of our soul, mind, and strength, God, to go where you send us, to come when you call us, God, and to stop when you say no further. That submissive mind. Father, to be ready in season and out of season. We thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for the offering we'll receive today, Lord. We thank you again for your goodness, your faithfulness, and your generosity, Lord. How you take care of us as a loving Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.